I like how Derek said that the best part of the night is the four minutes of fellowship. That means for you, it's all downhill from there. <laughs> so your expectations should be pretty low. Well, good evening. It's good to be with you. This is my first time teaching at Basics, so here's a couple of interesting things about me. My wife Rachel and I, we used to uh, come to Basic when we were first dating. She used to lead worship here about 12 years ago. She was uh, leading worship at, at Orchard as well, and so we were dating, and we used to come here, and I remember helping her load the entire sound system, this entire sound system 12 years ago, the entire sound system, in the back seat of her 1991 Toyota Corolla. So if you are on the production team, you may have appreciation for that because now it's in this giant trailer. Uh, but things have changed over time. So my wife, Rachel, I'm Jesse, by the way, and Rachel, my wife, we help lead up at the Waverly Campus for Orchard Hill. We have three great kiddos. My daughter, Raya, is here with me tonight, and we have two others. Uh, hey, thank you. Did you hear that, Raya? You got a woo. We have uh, Micaiah and Shiloh. Today's Micaiah is actually a half birthday as well, so uh, it's three and a half, yeah. So we moved to Waverly uh, just over a year ago, and one of the best parts, my favorite parts of the house, is that it has a tall garage, which means that I could actually build a climbing wall in the garage. I've been dreaming about building a climbing wall, so we built a, a little climbing wall in our garage, and uh, that's my favorite part. So that's enough about me. Let's talk about you guys. You guys have been in this, like, four-week series about hope, right? And... Uh, I know sometimes we talk about hope. We say, like, I'm going to hope, I'm, I hope I'm going to win this game, or I hope I'm going to get this job, which is to say that we're not sure if it's going to happen, but, but we really do hope that it will. And one, one pastor said that biblical hope is a little bit different than that. He said, biblical hope is this. It's an expectation and a desire for something good in the future, but that, total, that doesn't totally depend on our performance. It doesn't depend just on our performance. It depends, and it's anchored to God. When my kids are climbing in the garage, we do what's called top rope climbing. So I get to belay them. So, so they tie, we tie a harness around their waist and it goes up through a, a system up in the ceiling and it comes down and it's tied off to me. So, so when they're up in the air, they're anchored to me and I'm standing on the ground. And so they're hoping, you know, when they're climbing on the wall, they're hoping to get to the top and they, they have some fears while they're on the wall, but really they're, they're anchored to me and they're not gonna fall to the ground because of that. In this passage today, we're going to be introduced to a woman. She found her anchor point in Jesus. She found her anchor point in Jesus, and she put her hope in him, and everything turned out all right for her. So that's all I have to say tonight is uh, put your hope in Jesus, and everything is going to turn out all right for you. So have a great night, you guys. I'm going to invite the band forward now. And uh... So the passage, though, that we're going to read, it, it turned out all right. It turned out all right, but her interaction with Jesus, it didn't appear to go all right, and, and we're going to get into that a little bit more, because sometimes we do put our hope in Jesus. Sometimes we put our hope in Jesus, and still things don't seem to be going all right. In fact, sometimes there are times when we put our hope in Jesus, and yet still we feel like we're climbing, and we feel a little bit exposed, and we feel a little bit vulnerable, like my children do when they're on the wall sometimes. So why does it feel sometimes like that? Why does it feel sometimes like, God, I'm doing my part. I'm putting my hope in you, and yet still I feel here vulnerable and exposed. Why is that? We're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 15, uh, verse 21. So I know you guys have Bibles. You should be turning there. Excuse me. You should be turning there. Um, 
we'll start reading. So Matthew 15, starting in verse 21. Did I say 25? We're going to start in verse 21. So uh, that's where we're going to be. I'm going to read just these first couple passages. So I'll just let you know my style. We're going to read a couple passages, and we'll stop and talk about it and read a couple more and stop and talk about those. So we're going to begin in verse 21. You guys there? Here we go. It says, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. We're going to stop there. So Matthew does a really great job of setting up what's happening here. Jesus had been ministering down and around the area where he had grown up at, but then it says he's leaving that place and he headed north and west to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, this was not a popular area for a Jewish guy like Jesus. They did, this is not a popular area for him to be going to because according to the Jews, this place was full of sinners, right? People who were very far from God. Jesus himself actually almost kind of cracked a joke back in verse 11. He said, it would be crazy for people in Tyre and Sidon to actually believe it, believe in me and put their trust in me. The point being is that people in Tyre and Sidon are they're distant, physically distant, you know, they're a ways off. Culturally, very different practices. And spiritually, they were far from God. And so Jesus was headed towards this place, this hopeless region, if you will, when all of a sudden this woman came to him and she asked for help. And Matthew wrote that she was a Canaanite woman. So a Canaanite woman, these Canaanites were the ancient, it's an ancient word, even in that day, we were talking a couple thousand years before this or a thousand years before this point, it was, an, it was an ancient term for these people, they were the ancient enemies of God. So this woman is so far off, she's sort of like, like a demigorgon from the upside down. She's way out there. Sarah deserves a round of applause for that one. <laughs> so we got this woman, right? She's, she's way out there. She's completely distant, separate, way out there from Jesus, totally other, right? And here she comes. She's coming to him, and she's asking for help. And, and something we might wonder about this woman is, one, how did she know about Jesus? And how did she know that Jesus could help her daughter? Earlier in the book of Matthew, he had written down that word was starting to spread about Jesus. People were seeing what Jesus was doing, and they started telling one another. And back then, they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have mail. And so they just they started telling, word of mouth, they started telling each other, hey, you gotta see this, you gotta check this out. And word spread and spread and spread, even to these people who were far off and far away. People started hearing about Jesus, what he could do. They started telling stories about this, what this Jesus guy was up to, to even to the point where this girl heard, which is really something for us to consider. Let me ask you this, what have you seen Jesus do in your life, in the lives of other people? And, and who are you telling about it? What are your words saying these days? And what is your life saying about Jesus these days? I grew up going to church. I was active in our student ministry in high school, active in college, doing different retreats. And after I graduated from college, I went and I worked at Wartburg College for a few years. And at the time, I would have told you I was a Christian, but really inside, I was struggling. 
just, just really struggling. And then one day I went, I was walking through residence halls, and I, and I ended up going through this lounge. And, and in, inside that lounge there were a bunch of students. I mean, I was, I was on staff there, and there's a bunch of students, and they're sitting in a circle, and they're all singing, and they got their Bibles open. And the one thing that I remember is that one girl had bongos, and she's just like, tuk -a -tuk -a -tuk -a, and they're singing to Jesus. And that moment right there changed my life because I saw what they were doing, and I said, I'm missing something. I am missing something in my life, and it started me on a new journey. I don't even know if those girls know that today. Because sometimes we don't know how our words and how our lives are going to impact others, but I can tell you that I am where I am in part because they were surrounded in a circle and just singing to Jesus. And I walked through there 30 seconds. I was in there 30 seconds. Changed my life. Those students were telling a story. Their lives were telling a story. What story is your life telling? So this woman, she came from far away, physically, culturally, spiritually. She asked Jesus for help. Now we're wondering, what's Jesus going to do? How's he going to respond? So let's, let's keep on reading. We'll read a few more verses. It says this, we're in 23. Jesus, he didn't answer a word. So his disciples, they came to him and they urged him, send her away, she keeps crying out after us. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So the woman came and she knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. We're going to stop there. This is a pretty rough passage. Do you think this woman sitting at the feet of Jesus, do you think she feels exposed and vulnerable right now, sitting there? She was, she was distant. And these stories, they brought her in. The stories that she'd been hearing, they brought her close all the way to his feet. And how does he respond? First he responded, catch this, first he responded in absolute silence. There's some very nice passages in the Bible about how all we have to do is ask from God and we're going to receive. Jesus himself said, ask and you'll receive. This is in Matthew chapter 7. Ask and you'll receive. Ask, it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. But how many of us have been asking and seeking and knocking and all we hear is that deafening silence sometimes? And maybe it's not just a moment. Maybe it's more like a season. It's like, it's like one of those cold winter nights. We're going to start having these, those cold winter nights when you walk outside and the snow is falling down and the snow all around you, it just silences everything around you. You ever had these nights? And you're standing there, and if you stand there too long, all you feel is cold. The winter before Rachel and I were married, I was working at a job, and I wasn't even making enough to pay my bills. This is when I was driving down to basic. It wasn't even enough to pay my bills, and I was applying for jobs, and I've been praying. I believed that, that God was up to something. I believed he was doing something, and then I received one more rejection phone call, and all I felt was cold, and all I heard was silence. Some of you today are praying for things, and all you're hearing is silence. You say, well, why is God silent sometimes? Let's keep talking through this. 
We'll keep talking through this. So she sat down at his feet. She came in real close and she asked a second time. She said, Lord, help me. And Jesus said, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Just when you thought silence was bad. You see, the Jewish people, they referred to themselves as the children of God. And then they called all the Gentiles, the non-Jews, they called them the dogs. And that was just the part of the Jewish culture. And then we might ask, we say, well, couldn't Jesus just rise above that culture? Does the culture somehow excuse him for being kind of rude to this woman? People talk how great and loving Jesus is. So, so why would Jesus call this woman, especially a woman who's going through a hard time, her, her daughter is going through a hard time, why would he call her a dog? Can't he just say, like, mm, you know, I'm not healing today. Thanks for coming. It makes you wonder, is, is Jesus being a jerk here? Is, this, is the Son of God, could it be? Is he being, is he being a jerk? Sometimes reading through the Bible is like flying over a jungle in the helicopter. We can fly over, we can drop a line down, and we can pull out a verse. You drop a line, and you raise it up out of there, and you pull it out of everything that's around it, and then you try to observe it, and it's not in its natural habitat, so it just doesn't work to make sense of it. If we really want to understand what's going on here, then we have to get down and dirty in the jungle floor. We have to be willing to look around. Sometimes we have to be willing to take our friends in there and say, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Sometimes we have to take people who are smarter than us, and we say, are you seeing, what do you see here? We have to get down and dirty with passages like this. You know what, this is why I like the life groups here at Basic. I hope you guys are taking advantage of this. I hope you guys are, are involved and plugged into life groups because that's an opportunity for you to come around and, and read passages. Some, some are gonna be really great and some are gonna be really hard. It gives you an opportunity just to look at these things together and study these things together and help each other grow. But let's be honest, in this passage right here up to this point, Jesus he looks a little creepy. So let's keep reading because we want to observe this in the whole of the passage. We don't want to pull it out and just focus on that. We want to observe this and all this. So let's keep reading and we're going to see what happens. We're going to keep going in verse 27. It says this. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith and your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. All right. So the story has a happy ending. This woman, she responded to Jesus' remark about the children and the dogs. Jesus liked what he said, what she said. So she, he healed the daughter and the woman reached out to Jesus. He, I mean, you know, he was a little rude, but she was persistent and she got what she hoped for. Right? She got what she hoped for. And then we ask ourselves, is that the story that Matthew's telling? That Jesus was rude, but that's okay because in the end, he healed the girl? Is that the story that Matthew is trying to tell the people of his day and he's trying to tell us today? One way to read the story is that Jesus was testing the woman to be sure that her faith was sufficient. She finally passed the test, so he healed the daughter. Let me ask you this. Is that what you believe about God? Do you believe that he's testing you and that he's testing us and we need to pass before our prayers are answered? Another way to read the story is that this woman bested Jesus. She proved herself. She proved that she was worthy of God and she got what she wanted. Do you believe that you have to prove yourself to God? Another way to read the story is that Jesus is sort of random and arbitrary. 
We, we ask for things, but really there's, there's not a guarantee. But if, but if you're really persistent, then you, you might get what you want. But do you believe that God is sort of random with the way he answers prayers? Do any of these sound like a God that you would want to worship? A God who makes us test, pass a test or, or prove ourselves? Or a God who randomly gives us what we might ask for? See, the passage is actually pretty important. This passage is actually pretty important to the mission of Jesus because, as Jesus said when, at the beginning of Matthew, he, he was sent just to the Jews. And he even told his disciples by, by chapter 10, we're in chapter 15, chapter 10, he said, go to his disciples. He said, you guys go out and do what I'm doing. Heal people, but only go to the Israelites. Don't go to the Gentiles yet. And then by chapter 28, Jesus said, go to everybody. Make disciples of all nations. It's the Great Commission. We know it. Some of us do. Go, go everywhere. Make disciples of everyone. And this passage right here is right in the middle of this go only to Israelites. Go only to the Jews. Now go to everyone. This is right in the middle. She was a foreign woman, distant from God, but despite the distance that separated her from Jesus, she knew something about him that gave her hope. So she came to Jesus, and it looks like he outright rejected her before he gave her what she was asking for. We say, what's going on to be a fly on the wall? What's going on in this interaction? I'll tell you what, here's what I see. Here's what I see. When we read the book of Matthew, Jesus healed all kinds of people, and almost every healing was a little bit different. Sometimes Jesus reached out and touched people. Sometimes they reached out and touched him. Sometimes there was no touching at all. Jesus didn't touch the young girl here. He healed her from a distance. We don't know where she's at. Sometimes Jesus used words to heal people. Other times he healed people without saying anything at all. Sometimes he said your faith made you well. In this case, he said your faith made your daughter well. Other times it doesn't say anything about her faith. Each of the healings is unique. Keep that in mind. Other thing is that Jesus did say that if we ask, then God will give. And he said that if we ask for a fish, God isn't going to give us a snake. Jesus also said the greatest commandment is love. So I believe that whatever we understand about this passage, this is all part of understanding this is part of the jungle, right? We've got to look around and see what we can see. Jesus said the greatest commandment is love, so I believe that however we understand this passage, we have to understand that Jesus is responding to this woman in love, and he wasn't gonna give her something that was gonna hurt her or break her down. So that leads me to believe that this is not about Jesus testing the woman or being bested by the woman or being random. I believe this was a loving exchange for both of them. So how do we read this? I mean, it doesn't look good, right? At first glance, anyway. But if we look close, there's a couple things if we look close. I believe there's a hint in this passage of something more. So because when the woman came, she was, she was on edge. She was a little bit frantic, a little on edge. When you really get close and read it, you can see that she just keeps calling out and calling out. But then she calls him the son of David. The only other people in the book of Matthew up to this point who called Jesus the son of David were demons and a couple of blind guys. It's just interesting. This woman had some serious insight into the, the ministry of Jesus and the trajectory of his ministry. And I think Jesus was silent. Here's what I, I think he was silent, and I think he said what he did, not because he was a jerk, but because he wanted to bring her in close. You see, sin separates us from God, but this woman, she was from a land of sinners, so she's very separate, but Jesus brings sinners close to God. 
And I think Jesus was bringing her in close. And then I think Jesus set her up when he gave her this line about dogs. And I mean set her up in a good way. He gave her the opportunity to rise up in that moment and not to prove anything to Jesus, but maybe to prove to herself that she could rise up and live into the hope that she had. She took this phrase about the dogs and she turned it into a deeper spiritual truth. The Israelites, she said, they may be the children, but we Gentiles are at the table with you, Master, our Lord. I believe there are times when Jesus sets us up in a good way, not because we need to be tested or approved, but because he knows that we can, and sometimes we need to rise up for the occasion. My life has been marked by situation, situation after situation where God has set me up with opportunities to rise to the occasion, but it was a little bit different for me this summer. I got to see it from a father's perspective. When I had something very similar happen with Raya, we had taken Raya to the W at, the, at Warburg up there. They have a rock climbing wall up there. They call it the W. And, uh, and she kept, kept hitting this certain point, and she would just stop. She would climb up so far, and she would just stop. And then the same thing happened. We went back in our garage. You know, we had her all hooked up. We, this, we're not in full harness here yet. But she's all in full harness, and she's climbing up the wall. And she just kept hitting a certain point back in our garage. She, she kept getting scared. And she'd keep coming back down. A couple times I tried to pull the rope like a good dad would, you know. I'm like cranking down on the rope and I'll just raise her up there. And that really freaked her out. <laughs> because this was something that I couldn't do for her. And then one Saturday I took her out to the garage. We set up our belay system. We anchored together like we always do. And she climbed the wall all the way up to the top. She lived into the hope that she had. And I was happy. I was excited for her. I get to see this joy and this glimmer, the spark when she did that. I believe that's what this passage is about. Jesus didn't just give her what she was asking for, but he drew her in close. And he gave her the opportunity to rise up and live into the hope that she had. And then when she did, he celebrated with her. He just said, you have great faith. You have great faith. Let me ask you this. Is there an area of your life right now where God might be drawing you closer to him and then inviting you to rise up and to live into the hope that you have? Could it be that Jesus is moving you from distant to persistent? Could it be that Jesus is anchoring in and wanting to celebrate with you as you rise? Hope is about seeing something, and, and it's going for it, knowing that we're anchored in. And sometimes we need to rise up. We may hear silence. We may feel exposed along the way. But it is still an opportunity to live into the hope that we have. Is Jesus inviting you to rise. This is a series on hope, and I want to end with one final thought on this. If you take this story from the book of Matthew, and you take the very same story from the book of Mark, they both tell the same story, but if you set them side by side, you'll start to notice some differences. Uh, she says her response is a little bit different. The disciples have a little bit different role. Even, even Matthew and Mark describe the woman a little bit different. And someone might look at this and they'll say, hey, look at that, the Bible, it contradicts itself. It can't be trusted. Here's what I believe, though. 
I believe that Matthew and Mark, they knew the same Jesus. They knew his story. His story, Jesus' story doesn't change. But Matthew and Mark also knew their respective audiences. They knew the people they were writing to, and God chose them to communicate his story in a relevant way for their people. And the story of Jesus, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, it has incredible power, and that doesn't change. But God invites every generation to rise up a new breed of storytellers who will use their words and their lives to tell the story of Jesus in relevant ways to their people. I have hope. I have hope that Jesus is raising up the next generation of storytellers right here in this room. You have the opportunity to do what followers of Jesus have done for centuries, and that's to tell the story about Jesus in relevant ways for your generation Tell the story about Jesus who is lovingly drawing in those who are distant from God. He's bringing us in close and he's setting us up so that we can have the opportunity to live into the hope that we have. We're gonna have a few minutes to sit and reflect and pray. And so here's something to think about. I just wanna say this again. Jesus is drawing us close. He's inviting us to rise up and live into the hope that we have. And Jesus is raising up a new generation of storytellers. So I want to ask you these three questions. Some of you, some of you, might still be at a distance from Jesus. And I ask you this, what's keeping you there? Where might he be calling you closer to himself and how can you take steps to ask and seek and knock? Others of you, you might have sought out Jesus like this woman did. You you might have done some asking and some seeking and maybe you find yourself sitting at his feet but maybe you find yourself in in a moment of silence, a moment of feeling vulnerable. Could it be that Jesus is actually giving you the opportunity to rise up and live into the hope that you have? Could it be? Others of you, you've come close. You're living into that hope and you have great faith like Jesus celebrates with this woman here. My question for you is how is your life telling that story? How is your life, how are your words telling that story? I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna invite the band to come forward and they're gonna lead us in worship. But uh, First, you're gonna have some time to reflect. But let me just pray for us and then we'll we'll turn you guys loose to, to reflect for a while. Jesus, we thank you that you are a pursuing, a loving, an edifying God who wants to build us up, who wants to take us from when we were distant and you call us out from the distance and you bring us in close and you, you anchor yourself to us and then you give us hope and you say, live into this, live into this. Lord, where we need to rise up and live into this and tell your story, just lead us and guide us and give us the courage to do so. We pray this in your amazing name.